If you've never been here before, we're in a series, and normally we are. Lots of times it's a book of the Bible that we go all the way through. For the last few weeks, we've been in an Old Testament series looking at some Old Testament characters who really have been around for a long period of time, but have some lessons as if they were written yesterday. And so those are the things we want to share with you as we begin our journey this morning and continue it in the Old Testament. If you've never been here before, I traditionally start a sermon with a series of questions. And this morning I have two. How many of you have been raised in a family with more than one child? In other words, you weren't the only one. You had three or four or five or ten or twelve brothers and sisters. How many of you would raise your hands and say that? How many of you wished in that context you were the only child? Those of you who were raised in that context where you had other siblings, were you ever compared to one or the other at any point in that journey? And did you find if you were, don't raise your hand because they may be sitting beside you. If you found that you were, did it just a little bit irritate you? I mean, just a little bit. There are a lot of other words that I'm sure came to your mind as to how it impacted you one way or the other, but it did at least irritate you with statements like, why can't you be more like, how come you're not more like, you ought to be more. Though those statements every once in a while kind of weigh on us if we're the one who's not as the other person is we're being compared to along that line. I grew up in a family with three. My brother and I are 19 months apart. My sister is five years younger than I am. My brother and I, although if you look at the picture here this morning, look a little bit alike. We're vastly different. The things we had in common were guns and Harleys. Other than that, we were vastly different. The older he got, the more like me he looked. Now, I don't know if you have one of those homes where you've got pictures all over the fridge, but we have one of those homes, and every once in a while, we'll bring the kids in, and especially when they're little, we'll point to somebody in the family and say, who is that, who is that, who is that? And Isaac, a couple years ago, when he came to the house, who's my grandson, pointed to a picture on the fridge, and I said, who is that? Now, that's Julian he's holding. And I said to Ike, who is that? He said, that's you, Pap. I went, Wow. He does look a lot like me. But believe me, although looks alike, we were vastly different. I mean, I grew up liking academics and music. He grew up liking mechanics and anything that you could tear apart and maybe put back together again and then run it as fast as you could possibly run it, whatever it may be. We never were compared to one another, but there were so many differences, it was mind-numbing. I, believe it or not, was student council president. And so on a number of occasions, I was in the principal's office. He also was on the principal's office, but it was trying to get back into school. (laughs) My father in 73 had a heart attack, a pretty serious heart attack, in which I thought I was going to end up coming home, staying on the farm for the rest of my life, and not going back to college to go into ministry. Near the end of that experience, God healed him miraculously, came back to work on a farm, and dad And my brother worked a little bit. And finally, one day, my dad, who couldn't drive himself to the school at that particular time because of what was going on in his heart, had to be driven to the school only to talk the principal into trying to let him come back to school so that he could somehow continue in his journey. And I remember my dad still to this day saying, I had to be driven to school to talk to the principal as to why I should let you back and why he should let you back. And to be honest with you, I don't know why either of us did. He took his motorcycle down the hall (laughs) during class. (laughs) Football field was a lot higher than our school area, so it was way up a hill. He used that for hill climb on a number of occasions. Shop Boek all went together in the school that I grew up with in the country, and 
The BOAC teacher or the shop teacher had a, a pretty serious consequence that you had to pay for every single thing you did wrong. And my brother was there most of the time paying the price for that. Usually he took a four by four, it was about 10 feet long, and made him drag it around the school nonstop on the asphalt parking lot until the side became a wedge. And then once it got flat on one side, he had to turn it over to the other side until it became one of these, round and round and round the school, dragging that four by four, 10 feet long, until he shaved off the point and made it a point. I was in the student, I was in the principal's office planning an event for student council. We looked out the window, it was a relatively new principal, and he said, do you have any idea who that is and what he's doing? I said, I have no idea who that is. I have no idea what he's doing. I mean, we were pretty dramatically different. How on earth we never killed one another is beyond my capacity. We were that different. Let me ask you another question. You ever been hurt? Don't raise your hand on this one. I mean, really hurt. Betrayed? Let down? Beyond disappointed and disillusioned? I mean, really, really hurt. Deep down to your soul hurt. Especially if it's done by someone you trust. Or someone that's in your family. Could be a sibling. Could be a spouse. Could be a parent. Could be a best friend. Someone you shared life with and you told everything to. Only to find out that it was not only on Facebook, it was in every other planet. If indeed you're one of those, and certainly don't raise your hand this morning, but i got to believe there's probably at least one or two of us in this audience this morning who've experienced that kind of pain and that kind of betrayal and been hurt that deeply. I don't know if anywhere along your journey you've ever had that person that did that to you or those few people that did that to you come back into your life, but I've always wondered when I read this story that I'm about to share with you this morning if I would have been able to do what he did. If indeed they ever came back into your life, or they did come back into your life, or they would come back into your life, what would you say? What would you want to say? And many times they're very different from one another. What do you feel? And what would you feel like doing? If either of those have any connection to you or relate to you in any way, then you're going to really identify with Joseph's story this morning. If you know the Old Testament, you already have figured out the character I'm going to talk about. Because to me, he's one of the most famous in the Old Testament, one of the most amazing stories of all the stories that I've read as to his response to some of the situations that he faced. The story is going to begin in Genesis chapter 37, so I'd love for you to turn there this morning. It goes all the way to chapter 50. And if you listened to Phone Tree yesterday and you heard that I said we would go from 37 to 50 and you decided not to come, I understand. But for all of you who are here, I really appreciate that. Now, obviously, I'm not going to read all that story this morning, but there's so much here to set up what I want to do at the end and how we want to end this morning. You've got to understand the context, so please stay with me. We move from Abraham, who we talked about last Sunday morning, and Isaac, his son, to his son named Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, the father of the nation of Israel. We pick up the story in Genesis 37, beginning at verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of the family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flock with his brothers. 
He brought father a bad report about them. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. If you know the story, you certainly are familiar with that. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him all more. He said to them, hey, listen, 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 I had a dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, let me stop for a moment. If you had that dream about your brothers, would you tell them? Yes, I love that one. (laughs) Your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream. And I love this. He had the audacity to tell them that dream as well. Then he had another dream. He said, listen, I had another one. This time the sun and the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is the dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him. His father kept all this in mind. Now, his brothers had gone to raise their, graze their father's flocks near Shechem in Israel, or Jacob said to Joseph, Now, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. I want you to send something to them, so I'm going to send you there. Very well, he replied, and so he did. He said, I want you to go and see that all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and I want you to bring word back to me. So he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. But Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. When they saw him at a distance before they even reached him, before he even reached them, they plotted to kill him. Now, that's a pretty severe reaction. They plotted to kill him. Here comes a dreamer, they said to one another. Come, let us kill him and throw him into the cisterns. Now, you may have not liked your siblings, but I hope you didn't think about taking that route. Come, let us throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben, one of the brothers, tried to rescue him. As he shared that story, let's not do that. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern, but don't harm him. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe, the ornate robe that he was wearing. They took him, threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty, and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, and I love this, they decided they wanted to kill him. They decided against that, so they took off the robe, threw him in a cistern, and then had lunch Sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming to Gilead, from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, myrrh, and they went on their way down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, hey, what do we gain if we kill him and then cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. I love the sentiment now. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. The brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, they, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver, to the Ishmaelites, and they took him to Israel, or to uh, Egypt. Aren't there a number of obvious things that stand out in this story? If you're a parent raising children, especially if you're raising multiple children, one of the greatest privileges and one of the most incredible priorities that we have is to understand how extremely guarded we need to be in raising those children and needing to understand they are all different, and one of the wonders of God's creative ability is those differences. One of the wonders of God's creative ability is those differences. A couple of months ago, uh, Joe preached on Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. And essentially it says, we are handmade by God, handcrafted by God, hand formed by God. 
You are shaped and molded and fashioned into the image he wants you to be. And you and I have the privilege of parents and being able to shape them and mold them into all that God designed them to be. And one of the greatest privileges of a parent is to be able to find out what he has done, what he is doing, what he wants to do, how he has created them, and how I then can partner with him in bringing out the best of them. Proverbs 22.6 says, raise up a child according to his bent, according to his nature, according to that wonderful creative design that God has done in their life. Try to understand what that looks like. Try to see the differences between them, especially raising multiple children. Do everything we possibly can to help them discover who they are and help them develop it in all God's designed them to be. Now, if you're raising multiple children, you already know they're very different from one another. I raised two daughters extremely different from one another. And so for some of you in this room, your children are so different from one another, they're alienated from each other. And so when I talk about a family or my family, I, I, I get sometimes where you come from. On Father's Day, the greatest blessing I've ever had in all of my life is to know that my girls love Jesus down to their soul, have two godly husbands that are raising godly children and godly families. And so I get it. When I talk about family and I talk about mine, I get how blessed I am and I understand that. And I realize that some of you don't have those kind of relationships at all. You would love to bring the best out of them, but they've not given you that opportunity to do that. They've run away or alienated themselves from you, and and I understand that. For, For those of you who have multiple children, you have this unbelievable opportunity to shape them and mold them and allow them to become all that God's designed them to be. And whatever you do, don't sabotage that opportunity by comparing them to one another because they won't be the same. They are very different. When I... The hundreds of things I love about my parents, but all week long when I thought about this story, I tried to go back. I'm 61 years old. I tried to go back in my mind and remember those years growing up. And at one time in all of my research in the back of my mind, could I ever remember them saying, why aren't you more like him? And why isn't she more like you? And I thought, what a valuable gift they gave me as incredibly different as we are from one another. If you knew us well, you would understand what I'm saying. But I never once remember them saying, why can't you be more like him or why can't you be more like her? I thought of all the things they could have done and as hard as it was raising children when he had some difficulty with the, with the farm and, and the income and all those tough things that we had to go through. I love the fact that they never did that one time. Now, if you're a sibling raised in that kind of environment, the worst thing that you could ever say is, I'm mom's favorite. (laughs) Or I'm dad's favorite. So if indeed you're in that multiple situation with multiple children, do not run around saying, I'm dad's favorite, I'm mom's favorite, and not expect to pay a price. (laughs) Mine are 35 and 37. Last year for Father's Day, They had a discussion and asked me to answer the question, who's your favorite? (laughs) It's not like they were six. I failed to answer that question. Let's move on. (laughs) Chapter 39, Joseph is brought into Egypt. Potiphar, one of the leaders of Egypt at that particular time, brings him under his umbrella. But the Lord, in verse 2 of 39, was with Joseph. Even though he was a slave, he became very successful and prosperous. What I love about this piece here, after his master saw that the Lord was with him, he 
And, and the Lord made him flourish. He put him in a very reputable position, made him a supervisor. And it said in verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. And the Lord's blessing was on him and all that was on in his house. There are times in life where you'll be in situations that you didn't choose. You and I both know that we can choose our friends. We can't choose our relatives, right? You and I sometimes will find ourselves in an environment at home or at school or in a family experience that we wouldn't have chosen people or relationships. We wouldn't necessarily want to be around or wouldn't have chosen to be around. But what I love about that little piece, it just kind of stands out to me like a neon sign. If we're faithful in what God has called us to do, even in an environment that we wouldn't have chosen or don't like necessarily to be in, God can use us in amazing ways. You may not connect well with your family. You may not connect well at work. You may feel sometimes like you're a fish out of water and it doesn't make sense and you don't know why you're there. All I'm saying is if you live a life faithful to God and obedient to him, even in an environment that's really, really difficult, God will bless you and maybe even bless those around you. And I guarantee you, you have the opportunity for influence. Now, Jacob obviously had Joseph set on a pedestal and talked about his looks and who he was and what he had to offer. And obviously, Jacob was right. Joseph was a great kid and pretty good looking. Potiphar's wife thought so and tried to seduce him. But regardless of what happened to him, David stayed, Joseph stayed true to his morals. I point that out for this reason. He's in an environment where his family is gone. No one else looking over his shoulder. No one else around him. He could have easily said, you know what, God? I didn't want to be here. I don't want to be here. You placed me here. I didn't do anything to deserve this. I'm just giving in to all the things going on around me. He could have blamed it on God for putting the Mary. He could have blamed it on bad parenting. How many times have you heard people blame it on bad parenting? The greatest line that you'll ever hear from any psychologist or psychiatrist, or at least the most classic line is what? How did you get along with your mom? How did you get along with your dad? Because they understand the context of the influence. But what I get frustrated with every once in a while is how we always blame our faults on our parents. As opposed to taking responsibility for now who I am and the actions that I have. And I love the fact that Joseph could have easily blamed it on God for putting them there. Or blamed it on bad parenting. But he never did. He always took the high road even if it was going to cost him. And in this case it did. He ends up in jail for something he didn't do. Verse 40 of chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 40 said, sometime later. We're talking not days went by. We're talking years eventually are going to go by. Now, Joseph, like Daniel, had the opportunity or the gifts by God to interpret dreams. And he did for two of Pharaoh's officials who had also been put in jail for a period of time. Both dreams came true. Joseph said, if you get out of here, remember what I did. Remember how kind I was. Remember that I, that I interpreted your dream. They said, yep, when we get out of here, we'll remember you. But they didn't. They went on back into their old world. Later, Pharaoh had a dream. And one of them remembered that Joseph had the ability to interpret the dream. So he tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh believes that, brings him out, eventually puts him in a prominent position. Verse 41 or verse 46 of chapter 41 says that Joseph is now 30 years old. Now, I say that for this reason. You've got to remember, he went into this at 17. By now of 46, after finally getting out of prison, he's 30. 
need to understand the context of that and his ability to process everything that's going on in his life in this extended period of time. It's not like he had to be disappointed or disillusioned or let down for a week or two or three or four. This is a long period of time. Joseph predicted there was going to be a famine, years of plenty and years of drought, and all that came true. And by chapter 42, Jacob, Joseph's father, heard about that, knew there was excess in Egypt, and so he sent his son down to get some supplies. And as you get into chapter 43 or 42, it'll say, Joseph saw them, but they didn't recognize him. Now, it's easy to wonder how. How in the world could they not recognize him? One of the things, obviously, is just sheer change in age. Between 20 and 30-something, we don't change much. Between 16 and 40 or 60 or 50, we change pretty significantly. Went to Alliance Council, which is a gathering of all CMA pastors a number of months ago, and I had a young gal came up to me that I'll, I'll identify in a moment, and she pointed over to another girl standing by the booth and said, do you know who this is? I said, I have no idea who that is. She stood beside her, which is in this picture, and I went, oh, my goodness. Beth and Joel Matson bose were on our staff at one time. They were adult ministries pastor for a number of years, went off to California to start a church, be a part of a church there, and have been there ever since. Paige, the girl on the left, was 10 when she left. When I saw her there at Lions Council, she was 23. A pretty significant difference. Joseph, when he's left his brothers and sisters, it says in this context here, was 17 years old. By the time they see him again, he's in his 30s, and life has changed pretty dramatic. The story goes on for a couple of chapters, and Joseph realizes and recognizes that Benjamin, the younger brother, is not with him, and he goes back to encourage them to bring him in, even though they still at this point haven't put it all together. The story unfolds almost as if one of those crazy reality shows until Benjamin eventually shows up, the youngest brother, and Joseph reveals himself. The story unfolds until the climax of chapter 45 and 50, when Joseph, who could no longer, in verse 1, control himself before all of his attendants, cried out and said, everyone leave. There was no one there with him but he and his brothers. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and even Pharaoh's house heard about it. He said, I'm Joseph. My father still living? The brothers weren't able to answer. They were terrified at his presence. He said, come closer. And he began to tell them what God had done in this journey of life and how God had protected him and spared him and used him and eventually encourages them to go back and get Jacob. They all come to Egypt. By the time you get to chapter 50, Jacob dies. Comes another interaction between Joseph and his brothers with a powerful statement. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father has died, They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And they talked to him about it. And Joseph makes one of the most classic statements of all in verse 19 and 20. When his brothers came and threw themselves before him, we are your slaves, they said. Joseph said, don't be afraid. I'm in this place because of God. You intended to harm me, but God used it instead for good. What is now being done saved lives. And the story ends. I've read that story since I was probably 12. I grew up in a church that read a lot of Bible stories, and to me it always stood out. And this week, as I was preparing for all the stories in the last few months, I was absolutely certain this was one of those characters out of all the great characters that God would want us to talk about. And I found myself this week, as I was putting all the pieces together, 
asking myself this question, could I have done that? Had I been in Joseph's place, knowing what had been done, knowing what they did, knowing what was said, knowing the years that had gone on, knowing the wrong accusations, knowing the betrayal that I felt, knowing how everyone around me, even from his vantage point, could have said even God himself let me down. He didn't. And I found myself saying, could I do that? Could I even see it from his vantage point, what you intended to do to harm me, God used for good? And I found myself saying, could I have responded like him? You and I both know that there are going to be times in our life where people will let us down. There's a point is at one point or the other. No one is perfect, and they get that, and you get that as well. But there will be times in our lives for some of us here in this room, and maybe for all of us at one point or the other, well, someone will really let us down. And maybe from our vantage point, if we're not careful, we'll think it's even God himself. I prayed, I sought your face, I asked you for this, I asked you for a miracle, and it didn't happen. Or maybe it's someone in your life or someone in your family or someone you work with. Maybe it's a spouse or a mate or a child. Maybe there's someone in your life who so betrayed that confidence that it's ate away at you for years. 10th Avenue North, and I enjoy their songs. I love their music. I have a song called Losing. Can't believe what she said. Can't believe what he did. And then they tie it in in the middle of that to a common theme that goes over and over again of one of the statements that Jesus used on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And I like 10th Avenue North and I like their music. But to be honest with you, you and I both know that sometimes they do know what they're doing. And that's a wonderful tie into what Jesus did on the cross. But you and I both know they knew what they were doing. And they did it to me anyhow. They knew exactly what it was going to cost me. They knew exactly how deeply I was going to be wounded. And they still did that. And for years in your life, you've carried it with you. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, you had the opportunity at a point in time or a relational moment where you could face them face to face. And you could offer them what you have been offered by the God of the universe, forgiveness and grace. And you will probably find it's one of the hardest things you've ever done. But one of the most freeing things you could ever experience. But you have to decide that you will do that. My grandfather came from the old country, which is what we called it in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. In the early 1900s, with a dream and a little money in his pocket to start a family and to raise them in an environment where they could grow and mature and, and develop. Came to the United States, ended up in a little area outside of Washington, PA, went and worked in the mill for a period of time, lost an eye at some point or the other in an accident, started having multiple children and realized I probably need a farm. So he bought a farm outside of Washington, PA, and started to raise a family of 13 children. I still to this day go into that house, which is the original house. It was from the late 1800s home, one of those Civil War homes where the Underground Railroad went through, and it's still there, and it's still the old farmhouse. I go in and look around, I'm thinking, how on earth with three bedrooms, one of them being theirs, did you ever raise 13 children? Now, again, there was a pretty big, significant span of time. 
All of them decided to go out into their own world, do their own thing, except my dad, who was the youngest boy in the family. Dad loved being a farmer and loved staying, left high school, never finished, so that he could be a farmer after everybody else left. And in 1964, bought the farm from my grandparents, paid off all the children, whatever at that point was a fair market value. One of those children hated him for that. And from that day on, never, ever talked to him. Been paid off, had a rightful inheritance, and was all freely done. But he resented that he was the one, he wanted to sell it, he wanted it sold so he could have more money than he already had, and he had significant at that particular point. Moved to California. In 1984, my father, who would now fully understand God's amazing grace in his life, and his family's life, who just wanted to share that grace and give that grace everywhere he went, decided I don't want him to die with us having this relationship. And my Aunt Helen made a nut bread, which was my uncle's favorite. He got on a plane and flew to California, got a taxi cab to drive up to his house, knocked on the door to offer forgiveness and grace that he had received fully from God. And my uncle never answered the door turned him away, and sent him home through a message of someone else. And never, ever, until the day he died, righted the relationship and died one of the most miserable deaths you can possibly imagine. But my dad was free. He offered grace. He offered forgiveness. Whether it was accepted or not didn't matter to him because he was free. Matthew West, who is another great writer, writes a song called Forgiveness. It flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It always angers its own worst enemy. Even when judge and jury said you have the right to hold a grudge, there's a whisper in your ear that said, set it free. It'll clear the bitterness away even if a prisoner is free. There's no end to what his power can do, so let it go and be amazed and see what through the eyes of grace that the prisoner that really is free is you. Now, you've sat here all this morning and seen all these balloons over here and wondered, what on earth is up with the balloons? I want to tell you. Dave and Pam are going to sing a closing song, one of those great old hymns, I Need You. Put it in a more contemporary fashion that I absolutely love. What I'd love for you to do this morning, like dozens and dozens of people did in the first service, is if you're one of those people who've been hurt, wounded, betrayed, been let down, disillusioned, and destroyed, and you've carried around unforgiveness and bitterness for a long period of time, and you've dragged it from church to church and relationship to relationship, but it still weighs you down and eats a hole in your soul. And you know that if you carry it the rest of your life, it's going to eat away at you and destroy you. And you don't want to do that anymore, but you'd love to be free. I'd love to you to have the courage to do what many did in the first service and literally stand up where you are. Someone is going to meet you at both sides. We're going to cut off one of the balloons We're going to give it to you. You're going to take it back, sit down with it for a while. And after the sermon is over, you're going to walk out that door, out into the parking lot, and let it go. Really simple. Incredibly simple. Almost kind of childish. You have no idea the freedom that you can have. 
if you're willing to do that. It'll take courage. It'll take honesty. It'll take openness because you're doing it in front of a lot of people. But it can be one of the most amazing moments in your life. Nothing magical at all in a balloon. Nothing mystical in any way at all by what you're going to do. But for you this morning, it could be one of the most amazing days in your life. Because after all of these years of carrying it around, or maybe even these months of carrying it around, you can just do what God did for you and let it go. Even while we were still sinning, he sent his son to die on a cross. When we were still spitting in his face, doing our own thing, running away from him, he died for us. And so Paul says, in light of the grace that you've received, in light of the forgiveness that you've received, I'm asking you to forgive. Now, we don't take advantage of that grace just because we've been given it. And we don't keep sinning just because we know we're going to receive forgiveness. And sometimes you feel like your family's doing the same to you. But this morning, this is about you and an opportunity for you to be free. So while they're singing, stand up where you are. We'll meet you at one of these sides here. I'm going to ask an elder or two to come down and just help me cut those ribbons. And after the sermon is over, go out and let them go. Father, you have given us an amazing amount of grace. You've forgiven all of our sins, not just a few, not just most, not just the big ones, but all of our sins. And you've offered us grace and forgiveness and the opportunity to start all over again and eternal life. And so, Father, as we process that this morning, what we've received, and that we process where we are in our journey with someone else, I pray, Father, that you will speak to us and hear our hearts because we're really, really tired of carrying it around with us. And today, we just want to let it go and find out that it's not about them. The prisoner that's really set free is me.
magical or mystical in what you're about to do this morning, but it can be amazingly freeing. And so I release you to do that, and I ask you to allow the Spirit of God to bring healing and restoration to whatever it is that you need to release to Him this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power. I don't know how He ever could have done this without you, and we can't either. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for those who want to be free this morning, who have carried things for a long period of time, May they find today to be one of the most amazing days of their lives as they find freedom in you. So release them as they let it go to you this morning and give them freedom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you this morning have been impacted spiritually in some way or the other by CAC and would like to take 60 seconds to share your story, go to the Legacy Room and do that for us. If we can pray for you more than just today or more than just beyond this moment, that is something that we can help you with to go further than where you're at today in releasing that, please let us know that as well. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Next Sunday morning, another incredible character. We'll see you then.